Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Yedith Blom. The scripture reading today is very short. Um, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18. And you can find this in your pew Bibles on page 1841. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18. Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you open our hearts and minds as we hear and understand your word today. Let your spirit speak through Pastor Hayden. Amen. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So as I mentioned before, it's been such a privilege to be with you this weekend for Tracy and I to be a part of some activities here and, to then, and then to worship with you this morning and to lead you in worship. And now to get to preach God's word, it's, it's such a blessing to me. Um, the sermon series that you are in is on God's will. And speaking with Pastor Chris this week, he told talked about how the question behind this series is, so Easter happened, how do we live our lives as Christians living after the resurrection? What is God's will for our lives post-resurrection? And so this morning we have before us a short description of how we are called to live our lives as Christians. To rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will in Christ Jesus. And although these, these words are short, I can imagine that many of us this morning have at least a little voice or a big voice in the back of our minds saying, Really? Always? Continually, in all circumstances. Why is this? Because I bet you can think back to a time in your life. Or you are experiencing a time in your life right now where these were not easy words to read. These were not easy words to, to read or hear. And some of us might even find these words flat out offensive. How can Paul say this? He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know what it's like to be me. How can he tell me to rejoice always? It might surprise you to hear that the Christians in Thessalonica, who Paul was originally writing this letter to, they were experiencing some pretty tough persecution of their own. 
It was not easy for them to be Christians in their time and place. Paul's words for them are just as offensive maybe as they are to us. But you know, maybe Paul doesn't mean what we think he means by them. Maybe if we take a closer look at the Greek or the original context, we'll find, you know, that that it doesn't mean always or continually or in all circumstances. But if we take a look starting at verse 16, Paul says, rejoice always. And, And the word that Paul uses for rejoice is the deepest possible joy that a human being can experience. This is different than the general happiness that you get from being in a good mood or waking up on the good side of the bed in the morning. The difference between happiness and joy, in my mind, I think of it kind of like a concert or a sporting event. Because at a concert or a sporting event, you know, the, the crowd goes absolutely nuts, absolutely wild with excitement when the home team is winning or when the band is playing. But then the moment that the other team starts to take over the game or the band leaves the stage and everyone goes home, that's when the mood begins to shift. So that's happiness. Something that is very defined by external experiences. And can change rather quickly. But this is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a joy that is deeply rooted. Deeply rooted. Does not disappear easily with the swing of a bat or with a tough diagnosis from a doctor. And I really think we got to experience that this morning. You know, shouts of praise, rejoicing this morning together in our songs. But what about praying continually? What could Paul mean by this? Because he certainly doesn't mean to pray all the time. I can think of at least four reasons why that is not feasible. I'm sure you can think of some more. But what many Bible commentators will point out is that Paul probably doesn't mean in terms of all the time, whether you're eating or sleeping, being in prayer, but being devoted to it. I think what he might be getting at with this is a deep recognition that prayer is a powerful tool, if not the most powerful tool that God has given to us as Christians. The Catechism actually talks about this in in question and answer 116, where the question is, why should Christians pray? Similar to, to Paul's pray continually. Why do Christians pray? And the answer... Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also, because God gives his grace and his Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually. And groan inwardly, asking God for these good gifts. It is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. That is how important and powerful prayer is. We might see now a little more clearly why Paul includes it in this, this passage with these three, with these three things that, that a Christian is called to do. You know, rejoice, pray, be thankful. Prayer is 
out of a posture of thankfulness. So sandwiched in between rejoice and give thanks begins to make a little bit more sense to us. I love how much prayer was a part of the worship service already this morning because I firmly believe that the mission of the church will go only as far as prayer takes it. We are called to pray continually, to be devoted to prayer as a church and as people. But what does Paul mean about giving thanks in all circumstances? Tim Keller, I think, is on to something when he talks about thankfulness like this. He says, he puts it like this. He says, it's one thing to be grateful and it's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. Thanksgiving is what you do. So what he's saying is that giving thanks in all circumstances is actually a way of life. It's not a box that you can check off. It's, it's how God has called us to live our whole lives in a spirit of thankfulness to God. Why is this? Because he is the giver of all things. Of all things. One commentator I was reading this week puts it like this. He says, to thank God at all times is to see God working in every situation to bring about his divine saving will. To see God working in every situation. God's desire for us is to, to look for him. To see him working in every situation. Even the ones that look bleak. Even the ones that have seemingly no hope at all. Remember, Paul's words here are written to a group of Christians who probably didn't have much hope except in the gospel. They were being persecuted very heavily. Be thankful in all situations because God is working. But now, th these three these three things, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is often how we respond. Am I right? Maybe not. Because when faced with problems in our lives, one thing is true, that we have to turn somewhere. Everyone does. We have to turn somewhere. And so many times we don't respond with rejoicing. We don't respond in prayer. We don't respond in thankfulness for what God has given to us. Instead, we turn to other things. You know, instead of trusting Jesus, we are often tempted to, into thinking that there are easier ways, more convenient ways, to find joy and thanksgiving than in Jesus. And there are so many ways that this happens. And this morning, I'll give you three. The first is pride. Pride is when we rejoice in ourselves, when we pray our own egos, and we give thanks in what we have done. I heard a story one time from a pastor named Scott, and he told a story about a rivalry that he had experienced in the fifth grade. So he had recently changed schools and uh, was looking for a way to make a name for himself. And he was fast, very fast. And so he looked forward to the 100-meter sprint at the track and field day at his new school as a way for him to 
for him to be noticed by his new classmates. And much to his disappointment, there was somebody else at the school who happened to be fast, just as fast as him. And the day that the track and field day came and they raced the 100 meter, they tied. They tied, which doesn't happen too often in the 100 meter race. And so the teachers decided the easiest way to decide the race was to do a re-race with the two students. Four more times they tied. And so the, the, I'm, the fifth grade teachers thought the easiest solution to the problem would be to give a first place medal to both runners. But from this point on, Scott said that he was not friends with this classmate, he was rivals. Years later, he was watching TV with his wife, and he saw this friend again, who was still running, but no longer in the fifth grade. This time, the runner was in the Olympics for the United States of America. And not only was he running the 100 meter, he won the gold medal. And so Scott turned to his wife and said, hey, I raced that guy in the fifth grade, and I tied him. But he continued to explain that in his heart, he couldn't bear to rejoice with the nation. To be thankful for the gift of running that God had given this man to win the gold medal. And instead he said this, this is a quote. When I saw the Olympic gold hanging from the neck of my fifth grade rival, my first impulse was to protect my own ego. More than 10 years later, I somehow needed to feel that he had not surpassed me. He goes on, I see your Olympic gold medal, but I raise you a master's degree. <laughs> what is he saying? I think one of the things he's saying is that when we are faced with trials, with suffering, with pain, with shame, even something as insignificant as a fifth grade rivalry, often the gut response of our hearts is to elevate our own ego. To rejoice in ourselves and what we have done, in what we have accomplished. The second thing we're tempted to do is to ignore to shut out and ignore everything that comes in the way of our joy and our thanksgiving. A little while ago, someone I follow on Twitter posted a link, and the, the tweet itself said, the worst anti-bullying advice ever. And I, so I followed the clickbait, and it brought up a pamphlet that was written to give students at a high school in Nebraska some advice when they came in contact with a bully. And their advice was this. When a bully is making fun of you, joking about you, and insulting your family, what you have to do is learn to laugh at yourself. They go on. Don't get hooked by insults. Make a joke out of it. Or agree with the bully. That is terrible advice. 
But as terrible as it seems, this is often how we respond to things in our lives, problems that we have. To just ignore the real problem and go on living our lives the best way we can. Because it seems easier to ignore it than to face the pain, face the problem. We try to go on rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances, except in that little corner of our life where that's not possible. And so we build a wall around that part of our heart. Lastly, we're tempted to cover it up. Don't feel like rejoicing. Don't feel like praying continually or giving thanks in, in all circumstances. But I bet you feel like shopping. I bet you feel like watching the Blue Jays for a few hours. I bet surrounding yourself with people all the time helps, you, helps the pain to go away. Now I'm not saying that those things are wrong. But what I am saying is that we have very powerful things in our culture that help us to cover up the pain that we're feeling in our lives and to escape from the rejoicing problem that we have, whatever it is. But take notice, each of these three things that I just mentioned, pride, ignorance, and covering it up, each of these things doesn't do anything at all to tackle the real problem that's really going on. Instead, they're really effective at disconnecting ourselves from our problems. The problem that on our own we can't find lasting joy. On our own we can't be thankful in all circumstances. Always, continually, and in all circumstances quite often turns into sometimes, maybe, and when I feel like it. But this isn't God's will for our lives. He desires so much more for us. And at this point, it's so key to look at the last part of the text this morning, which says, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that the only way we'll have hope, only way of living the way God has called us to live is if we do it through Jesus Christ. Because where we are tempted to disconnect ourselves from our problems, the gospel tells a different story. The gospel story is not of a story of, of disconnecting, but of Jesus Christ who came down and entered into our world, entered into your pain, your suffering, entered in. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says, we have a high priest, we have a savior who can empathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way, but did not sin. He says this because Jesus didn't pull away. He didn't disconnect himself. When he was being tempted in the wilderness, he was given a way out. And he didn't take it. He never took it. And this led him throughout his entire life on earth, all the way to the cross. For Jesus, entering into our weaknesses meant taking them all the way to the cross. On the cross, he was facing the most difficult spiritual 
mental, emotional, physical suffering that this world has to offer. We get a picture of it when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. This cup is the cup of suffering. The cup of sin. The cup that we deserve to drink. But, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And he took it. And he drank it for us. Why did he do this? He did this so that, as, as Ed Clowney says in one of his sermons, Jesus drank the cup of sorrow so that the cup we drink is the cup of joy and peace. See, the cup we drink is joy and peace. We drink from his cup. And it's the cup on the table. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, shed for us for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Whatever gets in the way or is keeping you from joy and thanksgiving or a, a relationship with God in prayer, the Lord's table is a physical sign, a physical seal that the battle is won, that Jesus Christ has taken our pain, our sorrow to the cross so we experience joy and peace. And we don't see Jesus just dying. We see him being risen from the dead. We just celebrated it in Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. And through faith in him, the worst possible scenario for, for a Christian is eternal life with Christ Jesus forever. Amen. Amen. At this point, at this point, we can't help but see our need for Pentecost. You know, we're inching our way towards this celebration as a church. And we need God's Spirit, don't we? We need His Spirit to come and dwell in our hearts, to strengthen us, to change us, to equip us to do God's will, to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. He works in us. He changes us. He fills us with joy and peace and thanksgiving. I'm reminded of the, the quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, If you aim at heaven, you get earth. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. And I, I kind of wonder if get in that quote is what we're talking about here. Because when we're aimed at heaven, when our hope is in eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. Nothing can take that away from us. It fills us with so much joy, so much thanksgiving, so much thankfulness for what God has done for us. So how do we live as a resurrection people aimed at heaven, filled with rejoicing because of who our Lord and Savior is, filled with prayer because it's powerful and praise-filled, giving thanks in all circumstances, because in everything God is working. Now this message takes us out of the church as well. Ask yourself the question, who has God, who has God placed in my life? Who has God placed in my life that I can walk with, that I can cry with, that 
I can pray with and pray for and share with them the joy I have in Christ Jesus. Because as a follower of Jesus, we are called out to be a blessing. Because Christ has, has come down and blessed us. God calls us. God equips us. And God desires for us to be rejoicers. To be prayers. And to be thankers. All circumstances, always and continually. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us this morning, your desire for us to rejoice in all things, to pray continually to give thanks in all circumstances. And we thank you that you have given to us Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us in a world that doesn't look like a place where we can do this. We know we have Jesus in us. And so we thank you for that. We pray that you would send your spirit to live in our hearts, to change us, and to fill us. Lead us out into our world to be the light and the salt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing a song response.